this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. All right. What's going on, fellow reef builders? I'm Jake Adams. My co-host is Mark Vanderwall, and we are here with another episode of Reef Therapy Sessions to cure what ails you. Um, man, the, the, the thing about names and terminology, it's gotten out of hand. It, it really, it's, it's gone out of control. And uh, we have a lot, like I've been making a list in my head probably for years <laughs> on just everything that is being named wrong. And it goes so much further than you would even think, even the, the, than I would think. Um, but we, we have a real issue in the aquarium hobby with calling things what they actually are. Yeah, I... I, I think it has repercussions long-term. Um, when you think about somebody that's new in the hobby and they're trying to make sense of it all, um, or even in my case, I've been in this hobby, you know, I, I guess longer than, 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 than many hobbyists, not, not all. I mean, but um, typically the people I run into have only been into it for a few years. And there's a disconnect from what I was accustomed to, to, some of the lingo and the conversations that happen today where I'm trying to make sense of what the hell they're talking about. And I just, right. I give up. I, I retreat. <laughs> I, you, absolutely. You know, I think at the end of the first reef therapy session, you know, after we hit record, we both kind of realized that um, some of the more established uh, reefers have just kind of receded from um, the spotlight be because we are collectively being drowned out by this inverted experience pyramid where there's a lot more newer aquarists who just kind of take a name and, and run with it. But, um, do you have my, uh, my, my list that I sent you? So you know what we're yeah, going to, let me pull that up. All right. So we're going to start out with something easy. It's a little bit less about the names, but uh, this is kind of a fun one. Uh, I was chasing pH in my system and I had a big old barrel of ketomorpha that was growing and it grew a certain way. Um, and what I was doing is I was dosing a sodium hydroxide um, into my drains so they would, you know, concentrate at the sump. And if you don't know, sodium and potassium hydroxide are very caustic, very high pH additives that no one should ever be using. It's like really dangerous. And it took, like so many things in the Reef Aquarium hobby, it literally took me weeks to realize that's how I killed off my ketomorpha. Um, and so I'm like, oh yeah, whatever, no big deal. I'll just, I'll just get some new ketomorpha. And the replacement ketomorpha that I got was nothing like the strain that I had been growing. And I feel like that's, that's just a topic of conversation that is not had in the aquarium hobby nearly enough. Have you, do you have any experience with like uh, ketomorpha scrubbers or just kind of growing keto in a, in a chamber or something? Yeah. It's funny when you brought that up with me, 
it made me wonder if I had given up on keto because of what you are actually experiencing right now, where I have a, a good memory of growing some really crazy stringy takes over your whole yes compartment keto and then um you know i've ended up either killing it or um losing it yeah yeah and then you 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 go order some online and then i ended up with this really dense spirally ball and I thought, okay, well, that's just um, how it was grown. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it was grown in a reactor, but, you know, I'm going to put it in my sump now, and it's going to turn into the other stuff. And then it it didn't. And I actually, full admittance, had trouble growing it. So yep. I gave up on keto, yep. and I went back to Calerpa. Um, yeah. I think, so there's two, vi- or sorry, I, let's back up. There's over 70 species of ketomorpha and some of them are temperate. Some of them are thick and, and actually grow on rocks like we're used to. Um, but within the aquarium hobby, there's at least, at least three different varieties. Two of them, I think are ketomorpha. And the third one I think is actually a different genus because tangs will eat it. Um, but, um, just kind of follow up with, with what I was saying. So I got that it was replacement uh, ketomorpha from some random person. And I put it exact same conditions that my old ketomorpha was in and it just stunted. It didn't grow like it used to. It wasn't stringy. And, um, I started suspecting that it was a completely different variety. So I went ahead and I, f- I found some of the old strain that I was growing. And now I literally have them growing side by side with just different amounts of light. And for sure, the stringy stuff, which I call fine, is uh, grows way much, way faster. And because I have it spinning, it kind of wraps around itself. And so it, it, it shapes itself to the container way more than the thicker stuff that I called Brillo. And it's, 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 it's astounding. It is incre- it's just like totally mind-blowing that we have these companies that are providing ketomorpha, ORA, algae barn. We have companies that are providing uh, ketomorpha reactors. Um, Pax Palum is, is a huge one. And, you know, they talk about the, the trace elements that you need to make them, you know, fill in the gaps of, you know, whatever they're missing. And if five years ago, if someone had told me, oh, there's all these different varieties of ketomorpha, I probably would have been kind of dismissive. But now yeah, I have them growing. Yeah, I would have been skeptical, but like, oh, that's just a product of the environment in which it has grown. But now I have them growing side by side. And the stringy stuff is, has a lot more light, grows a lot faster, is thinner. It doesn't twist and turn like you described. And then I have the other stuff, the Brillo Ketomorpha, in its own little spinning chamber with a little bit less light. It just grows slower. You know, so I, I think the stringy stuff, Akita, the fine ketomorpha is probably um, a lot more suitable for really aggressive nutrient export applications. And then the Brillo stuff is probably a lot better if someone wants to have a token <laughs> algae scrubber and just throw a little bit of this Brillo stuff because it's, it's, it's really durable and it'll grow slowly under low light. But as far as like nutrient export, man, it's all relative to how much you throw away, right? Yeah. It's all... It's only how much you pull out of the tank. And just by looking at the growth rate of the uh, fine versus Brillo ketomorpha, it's, it might be 10 to one. It might yeah. be, I'll, I'll probably harvest the fine stuff five t- 
times before I even harvest the Brillo. It's really interesting to me that you've had that correlation because I, like I said, I gave up on it. I, Mm -hmm. and I, I couldn't explain why I had issues with it or why I didn't have issues with it in the past. And then suddenly I did. And I, I did all kinds of things to try to tweak it right now. There's all these elixirs you can buy to, you know, with, with iron fortification or whatever to try to. Well, aquatics keto grow. Yeah, there's one. I think Kent Marine has one for macroalgae as well. Um, I tried dosing. I thought maybe maybe there's some deficiency. Um, and then, you know, the light that grew the stringy stuff fine, I thought, oh, that's the issue, even though it grew the other stuff fine. So then I increased my lighting, right? Because, hey, more light on a on an algae farm just means it's going to export and grow more, right? Um, and then I just gave up on it, man. I just said, you know what? <laughs> Calerpo has always worked. <laughs> yeah. Everybody freaks out about it going sexual and nuking your tank. And I, I don't know. I've had that happen to me and I waited for something horrible to happen. And my tank got cloudy for an hour. I remember it. one time I had some Calerpa. God, I'm so rusty on Calerpa. Uh, <laughs> Rasamosa, right? Ooh, the gra- that stuff's, the, yeah. The grape <laughs> stuff. I remember I was watching my tank, everything was fine. As I'm sitting there watching it, I noticed, hey, the water's a little greenish. I'm like, what's going on? And then I could literally, with my own eyes, watch the Rasmosa. Um, it was expelling its guts. You know, I, I, they say it's going sexual. I don't know ex- if that's actually the case. Um, but that's why, you know, uh, Rasmosa fell out of favor. Uh, that one was prone to it for sure. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the grape Calerpa. And then I think Prolifera is a little bit more. Dude, I haven't seen actual Calerpa in a long time. I haven't had Calerpa in any of my tanks or I'm going to say about 10 years. It's been about 10 years since I've had Calerpa. And now that we're actually talking about it intensively, like I need to get some and just throw some in a corner just for fun. But back to the Ketomorpha, they're incredibly different. Like, so different, like, I don't know if they're different species. I don't know if they're different strains. And I mentioned that there was three varieties. The only place online that I was able to find any reference to this was a website called livealgae.co.uk. So I'm guessing it's a British company. And they have a, a they mentioned three varieties, but they said the third one was really fine. Um, uh, I think that's a different genus because they said it was uh, pal- uh, palatable, like tangs will actually eat it. Um, and I think that might be rhizoclonium. So it looks really similar, but it's really fine. But the fact that tangs will eat it makes me believe that it's actually not even a ketomorpha. So, I mean, this just goes to show how much names matter. Yeah. Because if we're not talking about, if, if one person is growing the Fiden ketomorpha and has one experience, and another person is growing the Brillo stuff and has a, the, the experience you describe, but they think they're talking about the same thing. Or they're arguing with each other and one thinks he's or he or she's right and the other person thinks they're right, but they're not. They're comparing apples to oranges, right? They were, it turns out they were growing totally different algaes. It's, it's, it's a, yeah. I, I still, it's been about two weeks since I've had both of my ketomorphas growing literally side by side. And it's just astounding how different they are. And, if you think that the differences are huge in algaes, imagine how much they are with fish, how much they are with corals, how much they are equipment. Um, but this whole episode is probably like a one hour rant 
on why names matter. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, how, how do you have a fruitful discussion or a debate about anything if you're not even sure you're talking about the right thing or the same thing? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yes, it's, it, this is why I have turned into like the, name, the coral naming police. You know, there's, there's some, there's plenty of esoteric coral species for which we know what it is, but we don't necessarily need to know the name and the name kind of switches around a lot. Um, but for others, like it really matters what the coral is, you know? Um, so I have a, a nice long list and let's just start off before we get into like coral identification w- used to be really hard, right? But now you have let's say a million or 10 million global reefers looking at this stuff, we can come up to some consensus, right? I don't think that's too much to ask. Yeah. So, um, um, maybe not necessarily in order, but like, um, legacy coral strains, you know, when, when is it good? You know, for a long time, we didn't have the resources, uh, required or necessary to, call corals what they actually are. And this is probably where a lot of the funky coral names came from. But there's some legacy coral strains that that, that people are, are adding their names to that are well documented. And the one that, that, that gets my goat the most is like the Milka stylophora. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, Joe Barrett. Yeah, so this is one of the only corals we have from the Red Sea. We have two corals from the Red Sea in the entire reef of Coral Mojave. We have Red Sea Xenia and we have Milka Stylophora. There is no purple Stylophora that isn't Milka. Okay? There's just, it's just not. I mean, there's purple-ish, but like as far as like metallic purple polyps, the Milka Stylo is like 35 years old. It was collected I think we had dinner with uh, Jean Jobert about two years ago at a Magda, and he told me, yeah, it was, I think, 1984. It grew at the Monaco Aquarium for, like, 10 years. Then it spread throughout Europe. Then uh, ORA got a piece and shared it throughout the United States. And the Milka Stylo is just, first of all, it's an amazing coral. It grows out of proportion with everything. Bright metallic purple polyps with yellow tips when it's really growing well. Oh, and it's just, it kills me when I'm window shopping for corals and I see somebody's put their name on it. I'm like, who are you? You've been keeping reef tanks for five years. This coral's been around for 35 years in an aquarium hobby, but you don't have the respect to do your research of what this coral actually is. So instead of doing your research, you just take the easy route and just call it Joe Schmo's Purple Polyp Stylo. Yeah. That, that that coral has more street cred in the reef keeping hobby than perhaps the reefer that is rebranding it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, right in line with it is purple digitata. Purple digitata is amazing. And I think people had a lot more respect for it when we were growing it under daylight spectrum with actually intense lighting. But since it's not fluorescent, it doesn't pop and fluoresce under uh you know the, the blue heavy led lighting um it's just not getting the respect that it deserves dude that stuff would go blue under uh iwasaki's i remember oh, that was um besides of course your blue mushrooms i remember i went to was it the aquatic wildlife 
what was it called? It was uh, aquatic, like aquatic Wildlife Foundation, and it was in Tennessee somewhere, right? Yeah, Cleveland, Tennessee. It was uh, originally, I think, run by Dana Riddle, who lives here in Atlanta, by the way. Um, Shout out to and, Dana Riddle. Yeah, and uh, I was, I, I still, I mean, I was all about the Walter 80 Dynamic Aquaria turf dump bucket scrubbers, and I remember they were using those there. So when I first moved to Atlanta, I drove up there, and they were, uh, they had their vats with big old. 6500 kelvin metal halides and they were growing that and it was i i thought it was a different coral at first i didn't mm. know what it was because it was blue it was blue <laughs> right it's crazy well so man i've seen there's a purple polyp digitata with a dark brown base and then there's like a blue polyp digitata with a light brown base but i've seen the purple polyp being sold as purple digitata yeah and i i if you have both of them under less than satisfactory lighting, yeah, they're going to kind of look the same. But if you're a vendor, you're supposed to be a professional, right? So I'm seeing purple polyp digitata being sold as purple digitata, and it's absolutely not the same coral. And it's just excruciating. This whole episode is going to be me ranting about coral names. Um, have you seen other examples of, of some legacy corals just not being properly identified? Um, to a degree, I don't know. For me, the big thing is, I mean, I, honestly, I, I've tuned out, I think more than you have, because I'm not really that involved in the, the professional side of this hobby. Right. So when I go on these websites and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I see ultra, ultra, this ultra, that insert some weird reference to some pop culture thing and then blah, 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 coral. I, I, I'm already lost. Right. So yeah, um, there's, there's, I haven't seen so, or, I mean, I know what you're saying. I, I definitely can see as being true. I've not particularly myself seen that. Um, I do feel like that sort of happens with the, um, the uh, micromusa and some of those, you know, what we used to call Lord Howensis, like that, like, they like every website or reef vendor has its own name, but it's all it all looks the same to me. And maybe so the, that's me missing the subtle difference. But to me, I'm like that could just be lighting or. There's a lot of factors at play here, right? So, I guess I'm just of of the opinion it's like, either you learn the scientific names, and you describe the coral as it is, or you come up with you know a catchy name that is going to stick with that coral, right? I have seen green mouth, orange leptoceres that was not jack-o'-lantern being sold as jack-o'-lantern, right? So some of these corals like the Milka, they have just such an astonishing pedigree, more than any saltwater fish, more than any invertebrate, and either stick with the scientific names or stick with the trade names. But then some of the trade names become generalized to the point where any green mouth orange leptoceros is a jack-o'-lantern mm -hmm. but is it is it the real jack-o'-lantern you know that was brought in like 12 13 years ago that grows like crazy that everybody recognizes or is it this other strain that you have just slapped a label onto you know, another great example is a weeping willow leather coral. That was an internal name that I applied to a very long polyp strain of sarcovitin and that I enjoyed and that you saw in my mm -hmm. college tanks back in 2004, 2005. Yeah. 
amazing specimen. I did a, a post about it uh, probably 2012. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I did another one in 2015, 2016. It's kind of cool. I did a couple, and then I did a video a couple years later. And this is probably like 2017, 2018. And something snapped, something clicked, and people started calling all manner of long polyp leather corals the weeping willow. I'm like, yo, you just stole my name. This is my strain. What are you doing? <laughs> What are you freaking doing? And they were applying it to corals that were not the same so at you're all. Gonna, you're going to laugh. I, I did not buy it because of the proposed pedigree in the name. Because I, I knew it wasn't what... I, I, I've known that coral in your tanks, yeah, for since you were, I think, uh, in South Carolina, if I recall. So I, I know what a weeping willow is and what isn't, but... Um, I did buy this leather coral just because I thought it looked cool, but it, it was called a Japanese weeping willow. And of course, there's like this whole thing about these soft corals that are lime green that are Japanese. And I, you know, it just cracked me up because I thought, oh, so now we have a Japanese weeping willow. You know? <laughs> um, so it's a pretty okay. coral, but I mean, it's it, the polyps are nowhere near the extension of like the coral mm -hmm. that you had. I mean, it's so what is the hobby to do like collectively do we stick with trade names and is that supposed to be applied to specific strains or is it just like a free-for-all where just the names don't freaking matter you know purple uh, purple monster green slimer langsai cap purple people eaters there's a few corals there's a few corals that have been around the block for like 20 years whose names stick they just they absolutely stick but I don't know that you, it, some of the stuff just gets like recycled a little bit more. And uh, again, I think it's come, it, it, it's because of this inverted experience pyramid where you have a lot more newbies than old timers and they're messing it up for us, man. They're messing it up. Yeah. For me, those old coral names that had nicknames, I feel uh, maybe it's not true for a hundred percent, but I feel like the majority of those organically came about you know mm -hmm. where everybody mm -hmm. starts having to reference a specific coral like oh man you got to get a piece of that you know length side cap and people because are, you know how it grows you know how it looks yeah and you can compare notes because someone across the country or across the world could have the exact same strain and you can really uh you know compare and contrast what you're doing and your results correct yeah i agree and uh, I think what bothers me now is it's a way to it's a way to hype a coral or um, assign additional value to the coral, right? They're they're it's part of the hype machine, I think, and that's what bothers me because maybe there is something super special about the coral that you're selling, right? Maybe you've not seen, I mean, it's one thing to hijack other corals names and say, this is the same as that, but it's a, yet another thing to come up with your own name for some coral so you can hype it up. And maybe there's something legitimately cool about it, mm -hmm. but um, let that organically develop, right? I that's, mean, dude, that's awesome. That is exactly one of the points I have a little bit lower down. Um, but I guess just one more last point on the, on the willow saga, because it was it was burning me up, man. I saw a company selling an ore weeping willow. So first of all, ore does not have a sarcophyte that they call a weeping willow. 
And they were throwing the name on a uh, Pacific strain of the large polyp sarcophyton that's already been around for 15 years. But if they call it or a weeping willow and you Google that and you can't find anything, it was like, oh, my God, it must be a new release. must be something super rare. I got to get it. And so there's a certain degree of dishonesty if you're taking my name and slapping it onto some wild cores you have just because it's a catchy name. You know, but we're, but we're losing information when we don't stick to certain trade names, I think. I agree. Um, is there a story to your coral, right? I mean, and, and do people, do people actually know what the backstory is on some of those older corals, right? The, the purple monster, Steve Tyree, right? Um, never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, you're right. We are losing that heritage. It's one thing to get a a beautiful coral and put it in your aquarium. And it's like another thing altogether. When you see that coral in your aquarium and you can imagine 30 years of aquarium growth that have happened in countries and continents that you will never see. But when you see that coral, you know, just it's had a journey. You know, so so definitely some of these older school corals, like we need to respect those those legacy names. But I, I totally agree with you about some of the uh, organically created or organically formed coral names. I only very recently started to uh, put names on some of the corals that I have. And I only name corals that I've had like 20 years or more and corals that I collected myself. But it's not like, oh, I collected it. Let me name it some, something. I just get tired of being like, oh, that's my Acropora tortuosa. That's very similar to the California tort, except, you know, so I just started calling the immortal tort, you know, because it had a nice ring to it. Um, but, oh, my God, <laughs> I just keep looking at this list. And, you know, but back to the hype machine, I saw a vendor. Uh, they were selling a kind of a, a teal colostrea candy coral a.k.a. trumpet coral. They were calling it neon, but it was the teal variety. Do you know what they were calling the actually neon variety? Ultra something? <laughs> Radioactive kryptonite. <laughs> like, uh, we didn't need that. No. We, we did it just, you know, call it a, like a beautiful blue-green coral, and then the other one is, is, is a normal neon. Um, you know, there's certain corals, like endophilia, that even Julian and myself and Vincent Chalius have a very hard time to nail down. It's like this weird in-betweener coral uh, that kind of straddles Cinerina and Acanthophilia. Um, so I don't hold any hold it against anybody when they call it Endophilia a Cinerina. Like, okay, fine, whatever. It's a little, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird one. But the, the 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 new species designation for Acanthophilia came out around the same time as the change of Acanthastria Lord Howensis to Micromusa Lord Howensis. And the thing is, all you had to do is cut off the Acan part, right? Because we called them Acan Lords. It's not asking too much to just call them Lords. You will not confuse them with any other coral. Yeah. Some of that actually is, um, it's not everyone's fault. Uh, Australia is, you know, predominantly the source for Micromosa Lord corals, but they haven't recognized the species designation of Micromosa. But if you put a, a Lord next to a real Acan, the Acan is going to sting the Lord to death, 
right? So if you think that your Achan Echinata and your Achan Lord are very similar and can can coexist, you're going to end up with just the actual Achan because it's going to eat and digest your Lord Coral. That This is one of those reasons why I'm like such a stickler for some degree of sticking to the coral names. Well, so from from a Latin to common name, I, I I I do play devil's advocate there a little bit in the sense that I butcher Latin names, right? Um, that's, that that's fine, Lord. And, it's not hard to say. No, and I mean my memory is shot half the time. Where you know I, I'll draw a blank on a coral where I'll remember the common name of that coral, but I may not always remember the Latin name of the coral. That's um, fine, but. I, I guess you don't need to add a bunch of adjectives to the equation, right? Like, I, I, I don't mind somebody calling it a trumpet coral, right? I know exactly what they're talking about. If they say yep, fox coral, yep. I know what you're saying. Like, I know what you mean when you say fox coral. Um, but when you say, oh, this is the ultra tangerine, whatever, you know, uh, radioactive fox coral, like, you, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. Right. Well, you so, know. you know... I, if if you go to the grocery store, I, I don't think you can find vanilla yogurt, vanilla ice cream, right? It's going to be whole bean vanilla whiteness, you know, like even the chocolate, it's like dark chocolate silk ice cream. And so this is a little bit on the consumer, right? Some of those crazy coral names, because I did a stint at Unique Corals. And I distinctively remember like putting up, uh, you know, small maricultured colonies of millipora. No name, just, you know, hey, this is an acropora millipora. It's pink. You can see the picture. No problem. And it was like, I don't know, 120 bucks for a small colony. And it wouldn't sell. Take that same colony, chop it up into 10 pieces uh, for like 60 to 80 bucks a piece. Give it a funky name. And it sold out like that. It was incredible. It was it, so the, it's definitely a little bit on the consumer. And my wife actually works at a, a, one of the nicer stores in town. And just every week she tells me people come in and is like, oh, what's what's that called? Not what is what is the name of that? What is that called? And if it doesn't have a fancy name, they're just like, eh, I'm like, just look at it. It's beautiful. It's colorful. It's healthy. It's like 30, 40 bucks. If you like it or not, you know, but yeah, there's a, there's a weird consumer side of things that is driving this you know hard to navigate naming landscape do you feel part of it too is the difference between a chop shop and a propagation place like if you are you know i mean you you hit on this earlier right um you take the cali tort right we're not uh, repro- we're not propagating these corals sexually, right? We are fragging asexual propagation. So, like, you're getting a copy of a copy of a copy. So there's mm-hmm. this lineage there, which in its, and that makes it super cool, right? You think about the history of that coral and and where it's been, and you got a piece of it. Um, but I feel like a lot of times in the past, these places they would take these corals, they would grow them, frag them, grow them, frag them, and you were getting a guaranteed piece of that lineage whereas i feel like the easier way to make money is get some colonies that are that glow interestingly under a blue light chop those colonies up and assign it a crazy wacky name and market the crap out of it on instagram 
I'm, uh, yeah, maybe I'm I mean, off base. No, you're totally right. I could take my my almost 20 year old strain of California tort. I could, you know, cook it under intense blue lighting, uh, take a photograph with the orange filter, boost all the levels super high, give it a fancy name. And outside of the reef builders or Jake Adams cred, if I just presented that to somebody as something new, they would be wildly excited about it. Um, like but, if, yeah. if somebody really got some momentum going on something called like ultra nuclear radioactive torch, and I hit up that person. I'm like, I'd like to buy a frag of that. And I'm going <laughs> to take that frag and patiently grow it out and start farming it so that I have clones that I can sell. I'm going to lose out to the guy that's just going to bring in a bunch of wild colonies that resemble what that guy had yeah. and just chops them up and calls it the same thing, right? Yeah, there's definitely um, a moment happening right now with the Euphilias where... Torch corals have names and stratospheric prices, but hammer corals, frog spawns, they don't have any silly names. There, there's no named hammers, and there's like 10 new torch coral names per day, right? And here's the interesting part. Like, I, <laughs> I have a holy grail torch. I bought it as a holy grail torch. Someone else found a holier grail torch. They just called theirs a holy grail torch and <laughs> renamed the torch that I had the dragon soul. But just because they have a little bit more clout on the reef scene, my coral, which was once a holy grail, is now a dragon soul. But now both holy grails and dragon souls are being farmed in mass from the ocean, but they don't necessarily reflect either the exact appearance or the growth preferences and behavior of what was once called a dragon soul or holy grail torch coral it's 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 really what, just kind what, of frustrating and how do you navigate that what is a dragon soul like what is what what makes a coral look like the soul of a dragon i'm curious oh man again um <laughs> it's I'm just, just like every, every time we come up on one of these uh, points like I'm just overwhelmed with everything else that's wrong. Like I have, I have an orange-ish torch coral mm -hmm. with green tips, and I think that's your dragon soul. But I have another one, which is also orange with green tips, and I can't describe it to you. But if you looked at them, they are different, right? So like the dragon soul is is you know a little bit more orange, and the green's a little bit more confined to the tip. But I have this other one where the orange is a little bit more yellow, and the green tip kind of bleeds down onto the tentacle a little bit more. But if I describe them to you as I did, they're kind of the same coral. But when you see them right next to each other, you know the dragon soul is arguably more colorful. And so same thing with these so-called holy grail torches, which are Man, they're coming in by the hundreds, if not thousands, every week. Dude, I cannot actually. I cannot wait till the fall, and maybe like this time next year, I'm gonna buy so many affordable torch corals and rainbow tenuous corals. But I don't even care what the name is, man. But like they are being produced in such high numbers by coral farmers in Indonesia. Like those things are not gonna be worth anything unless you really subscribe to the hype machine and you think that you're getting a particular coral strain. There's, if you have an orange lobophilia, there's a 99% chance that it's not at all a lobophilia. It superficially very much resembles a lobo, 
But just like the Lord issue, if you put one of these acanthaceptas next to a lobo, it will sting the bejesus out of it. The first one I ever got, I actually bought on eBay as an orange scoli over 11 years ago. I still have it. That thing has killed so many corals over its lifetime. If you have an actually orange lobo, that to me is incredibly rare. But it's here's the thing. Before the taxonomists like kind of sorted out the morphology and the genetics of Acanpachycepta, the wholesalers, they knew that you don't mix the orange lobos with all the other lobos. They knew it like functionally, behaviorally, uh, aggressively, you don't mix them. And so this is one of those times where like knowing the actual name of the coral can give you a lot more information. You know, if you searched up orange lobo, you're not going to find the same kind of information as if you, you know, search up Acan Pachycepta. So like, I know there's a, a part of our audience that is going to think we're just a couple, uh, older timers. Cause we're, we're not that old. Get um, off my lawn. Yeah, exactly. We're going to think we're raving and we're just ranting, but there is a lot of information to the names of the corals. So that's AP Campacicepta, um, Platygyra. Mm. Like th th there is Platygyra in the reef aquarium hobby. It used to come a lot more from like Fiji and Tonga before Fiji shut down. But m almost all of what is being chopped up, fragged out, given silly names, is Paragoniastria australiensis. So this was a Goniastria. But now it's in its own genus because it's kind of you know scribbly like a platygyra. But same story as Ape Campacicepta. It will sting the bejesus out of anything you put next to it. Platygyra doesn't do that. And uh, you know, it's just that that I do know that Australia recognizes Australiensis, uh Astria. And so, like, you know, who where do you get off selling a, a premium strain? of this Paragoniastria as Platygyra and robbing your customers of that actual information. Yeah. I, I think you should come with the territory if you're in the business of um, charging large sums of money for coral online. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't want to, I don't like to call anybody out, but like last week, Live Aquaria posted a Christmas checkerboard wrasse. And I just, I just lost it, man. I just lost faith in humanity because I'm like, Live Aquaria is supposed to be you're holding the line. And if you don't know already, there's Christmas wrasses and there's checkerboard wrasses. And they're very different fish. They grow to different sizes. And if, you, if, if some, a, a, a buyer looked up a Christmas checkerboard wrasse, they would find no information about it. If you looked up Christmas wrasse, you would find plenty of articles, checkerboard wrasse, plenty of articles, and you could learn about those fish. But the moment you just arbitrarily call it a Christmas checkerboard wrasse because more names equals more money, that's not fair, man. That is not fair. Like what other industry could you sell bananas up as pineapples <laughs> or, or call it a banana pineapple? Yeah. You know, am I, am I, am I just... Am I just losing my mind over here? No, I, I, I think, I mean, 
it's funny how taxonomy is very important in, let's say, the freshwater side of the hobby, right? And when they do add descriptors, they're often affiliated with geography, right? Yes. Which makes it river. interesting. Yeah. The river, where they were. It's descriptive. It gives you information, right? When you, when you call something a Christmas checkerboard grass, you were robbing that person, the buyer of information. When you call something a weeping willow to toadstool that it's actually from ORA that has nothing to do with the wheel, you're robbing somebody of that value and understanding the heritage and the lineage of that particular coral. Like for example, you couldn't get by, like no one would let it slide calling an alveopora a goniopora or vice versa. But why is it okay to call a cyclocerus a fungia? There's, there's almost no such thing as an orange fungia. There's no, almost no such thing as a very colorful fungia. Virtually every disc coral sold in the hobby is cyclocerus, right? They're very different genera. And if you think you have a fungia, you know, you think you have a reef coral, but cyclocerus is not so much like the reef coral that we associate it with being because cyclocerus is coming from like really protected waters. Um, whereas fungia is like a lot more light, a lot more energy. And I understand that all cyclocerus are pretty much recognized as fungia by the CITES committee that issues the permits. And so that's where you have these different levels mm. of confusion. Um, but by now, man, by now we should know better. But even so, if you want to group them into a common name, right, if you want to refer to a plate coral, you know, and it could be either, I, I, that doesn't bother me too much, right? It's just a generic name for maybe a type of coral. But yeah, I, you highlight the fundamental difference in their habitat and how you should go about uh, thinking about how to grow them or light them, right? Um, those, those things are different. I mean, and, and part of that too, I think, um, I don't want to go off on this tangent. I just want to throw oh, please it in. do. Just to go for it, man. <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, I, I said this, like, I remember saying this on like a reef central post long ago and people gave me crap for it, but it's just like, I wish more reef keeping hobbyists enjoyed scuba diving <laughs> because that that's a whole nother topic. Right. That's why I don't want to go there. I just, it, it goes back to like, you know, there are different reef zones and habitats and you know it's just um and there's some there's some fun and fascination about seeing where these different corals dominate and grow or 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 are less abundant and yeah anyway that's a different tangent but in the reef aquarium hobby and industry it is not acceptable by any measure to call a monopora an acropora or an acropora a montipora. It is not acceptable to call an alveopora a goniopora or vice versa. So why are we okay with cyclocerus being called fungia? Especially since they have very different ecological niches. Yeah. You, you know, I think there's just, there's uh, uh, the, the fraction of reef aquarists who have been scuba diving and seen these corals in the ocean is way too small. You know, but it's, it's like, all right, you know, I want to keep going. Uh, chalice corals. Chalice refers to a shape, right? 
But that can apply to Echinopora, Echinophilia, Oxypora, and Mycetium. Echinopora less, less often, you know, unless it's kind of, it's, it's, it's like the newer newbies who are going to call that a chalice coral. Right. But Oxypora grows super fast and is much hardier. Echinophilia is the most beautiful ones that you see. And Mycetium is much hardier and aggressive, right? I, I, I believe that the, uh, rarely I'll throw out somebody's name on there, but that Jason Fox, Raja Rampage, is one of the best corals of all time. Bright green, bright yellow mouths, edged in black, grows almost no matter what, especially if you don't overlight it. It has nothing in common with your alien eye chalice or your watermelon chalice echinophilia you know and it's just if when you generalize the chalice corals like that you really lose a lot of information about the corals growth habits its behavior and aggression towards other corals and its preferences in the aquarium (laughs) and so like this is you know that's what this uh, this session of retherapy is about (laughs) (laughs) just just getting it off my chest one good time yeah so like on the flip side, soft corals are really hard. They're really hard to identify. And I've gone back and forth on certain strains with Capnella, Sinularia, Lemnalia. And at some point, I, I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and I gave up. Yeah, that's what I think it was episode one. We were talking about the lime green Kenya tree. And I went there because, I mean, is it a Capnella? Uh, you know, I struggle with some of those personally. I, I'm not good at IDing corals, by the way. So. As someone who has taken a lot of deep dives into the literature, the type specimen yeah. for Nephthia is actually a Dendronephthia. Just it just screws everything up. So I've just kind of given up. All right, you know, Sinularis, uh Sarcophyton, Lobophytum, pretty easy to recognize. Yeah. Outside of Sinularia, like Capnella, Lemnalia, like, man, Clydiella is another easy one. Clixum's kind of easy. Um, but it gets really tough because, like, if you want to drill down as much as you possibly can, you uh, you really have the Dunning-Kruger effect. Is it Dunning-Kruger? Or Kruger? Yeah, Dunning-Kruger effect. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, tell our viewers what the Dunning-Kruger effect is <laughs> Well, I take a sip. So it's where you aren't aware of what you don't know so usually it's assigned to somebody who comes off as arrogant and a know-it-all but it's because they are completely oblivious to the fact that they are missing so much information right um we see this all the time on forums and bulletin boards where someone comes in super energetic because they've spent half an hour reading the top three Google search results on a particular topic, then now they're an expert, but they're taking no consideration into the factual nature of what they actually read. And as you dive really deep into it, you realize that you don't know Jack. It's not until you come into the other side of that inverted bell curve that you start developing a small degree of confidence of what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's the opposite effect, right? The more you learn, the more you, you, you have wisdom, the, the more humble you become because you just realize how little you really know. Like referencing the Varen books behind you, right? When I got that set, right? And I wonder how many reef aquariums, 
Well, I, I guess it's out of print, so it may, but I wonder how many reef aquarists have it. But um, I don't think they care anymore. Yeah. They, they want this version with made-up names. Made-up names that they're not going to stick to. <laughs> but that book... Uh, that book was humbling. <laughs> I just, I realized how little I know. I mean, um, yeah, anyway, it's. Um, I'll keep going. Rock flower anemones is nuts. There's not such a thing. For my entire aquarium career, they were simply flower anemones. Epicystis crucifer, which has been changed to Helianthus crucifer, flower anemones. They're just flower anemones. You know what rock anemones are, right? Uh, I I always refer to those as the weedy anemones. I mean, that's Aptasia. more yeah. <laughs> Common name of Aptasia is rock anemone. So when people started calling them rock flowers, and this is just what was the other one? The um, not Aptasia curlicue. Um, yeah, no, there's the um, Mayanos. I I kind of well, they're a little different, but yeah. I just always call them Mahanos. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like. You can't blame the collector for trying to come up with, you know, fancier names, but it's like, it's really, really frustrating with my entire career. Flower anemones were flower anemones. And I was picking out the slightly colorful specimen that I knew would turn green or turn orange. And then they become a thing. And now they're rock flower anemones and they're $200, but that has since subsided. And I don't think you can get more than a hundred dollars for like the best flower anemone you've ever seen. So there's definitely like a uh, industry thing where a collector um, comes up with something new or that they haven't collected before. And then you kind of come up with this name and um, it just starts a trend, right? Because the store will call it what their co you know, collector had it listed as on the uh, invoice. And then that just propagates throughout the entire aquarium hobby. And now we're probably stuck with rock flowers for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I mean, it changes all right in some respects, right? But when you're talking about the, um, uh, oh, what's the word? It begins with a P, uh, which covers kind of the identification of species. Um, help me out, Jake. Uh, Platograms? No. Phylogeny? Phylogeny. Is that the right word for it? That's just um, how things are related. Okay. So that's not really the identification. But. I, it, it's not a, uh, you know, oh, the skimmers we ran back in the day are better than these new, you know, whippersnapper protein skimmers with needle wheels. or It's nothing like that. It's more just um, these are these are organisms, right, that have been identified and have been studied. And there's relationships between them and evolutionary history around them. And it, yeah, like, I don't know. I, that's, I have, that sounds like me, it falls into, under phylogeny. Okay. Yep, yeah, yep, it's yep. To, to, to me, like, I think the long-term repercussions is are we going to lose some of that in, in the hobby? I, you're not going to lose it in the scientific community, but are, are we going to lose some of that um, um, discussion or, or passion in the hobby? Or knowing what the hell we're talking about. Or, yeah, arguing with each other. You wouldn't call a Tridacna squamosa a hippopus clam. Right. Like, why is this okay? in certain coral names. I, I get it that coral names are hard, but it's been like 20 years. There's plenty of freaking resources. There's companies that, you know, claim to be super professional and they're just throwing out. I, I don't, I'm not talking about the, the made up coral names. It's like made up coral name. And then you're calling the cyclocerus a fungia. But I don't, I don't blame consumers, right? I mean, if you're a new hobbyist, right? I'm, I don't think there should be an expectation that you read the, the three volume Varen book and that you can I accurately identify an Acropora 
you know, species, right? Uh, is that a millipora versus, uh, uh, the only one I could come up with cervicornis, but it'll never be a cervicornis because you're not going to see that one in the hobby. But you know what I mean. Um, b- but I mean, it was cool to at least put some effort into trying to look in your tank and going, well, what kind of coral? So much fun. Yeah. So much fun. But like, all right, another example. I'm just going down the list. I saw, <laughs> I saw Stenopus zanzibarcus being sold as coral bandage shrimp the other day. Hmm. Zanzibar has nothing to do with the typical boxer coral mantis shrimp. Like I get it. Like some of these uh, creatures have a, uh, you know, really different names, uh, a lot of common names. Like this is super normal. That's fine. But I'm not even talking about companies been around two or three years. I'm talking about companies been around like 15 years and they have a Zanzibar shrimp that they're calling a coral bandit shrimp, right? A coral bandit shrimp is going to grow a lot larger and and be a lot more active and has a lot of documentation in the reef aquarium hobby and they're just being lazy they're literally just being lazy by not being like oh hey those spots look quite different zanzibar coral beta shrimp is not going to grow nearly to the size and it might get eaten by this the tank mates you would put with a normal coral beta shrimp you know it's just like down of the line i get it that corals are hard but like Shrimp and clams are pretty easy. Actually, I, you know, I, you, you never see, you almost never see a squamosa listed as a crochet. You never see a gigas listed as a squamosa. Like those people would be heckled out of town. Yeah, but for usually... some reason, all of this flies when it comes to coral names. And I'm, I'm, I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so perhaps, uh, um, a more tangible thing is you and I have a very interesting history with Acropore red bugs. Yeah. And you named him that. So I blame you, but it was like a year or two later, I had them identified by a Harpacticoid copepod specialist down to Tagastes Acroporanus. Mm-hmm. Right. This really matters because we now we know that they're copepods. That means we know that they're crustaceans. That means we know that you can remove them with interceptor, mm-hmm. right? You you remember the entire saga? Oh, I, I do. We, I think we already talked about this on the first episode. But I've man, seen- uh, just a side note. Remember trying to photograph those things with those old Nikon Coolpix digital cameras, like oh, macro photography. Unless you were like a you had pro gear, it was like I got one, these little one point two megapixels <laughs> up in the house. Represent. <laughs> and now you could do it with like an iPhone. Anyway, but so 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 now it bothers me that they're calling black bugs, you know, Acropora black bugs, because first of all. Red bugs aren't bugs. They're crustaceans. Therefore, we know that Interceptor works. And I did multiple articles on the Haloflocculina ciliates that people are calling black bugs. But if you're just calling them red bugs and black bugs and green bugs and polka dot bugs, like we don't know anything about this pest or parasite, mm-hmm. right? If you don't know what the pest or parasite is, which is a big problem, right? Acro eating flatworms, monopora eating nudibranch. Like if you don't know what they actually are, what if we called uh, monopora eating nudibranchs, we just called them white bugs and we called acro eating flatworms clear bugs. Like we would just get nowhere. Yeah. We wouldn't get anywhere. And this is why, like, I rally and I implore all of our viewers and our listeners 
to hold the line with us. You know, I think it was just last year that the Acropore eating uh, flatworms were described, like scientifically, uh, Amacusa plana acropore. And also the Montipora nudibranx were described. I don't remember that one. But, you know, if you don't know exactly what it is, you don't know exactly what it's going to do or how to treat it. But what was awesome, there's this guy um, who described both of those. Uh, he was a, the first author. I think his name's Adam Wang. And I had interactions with him on the Marine ID group, Marine Identification group on Facebook. Um, so he had the AEFWs uh, officially described, probably working with some other folks. And the same thing with the Monterey Port Nudies. And you know what he did right after that? He did, uh, you know, some basic experiments on uh, natural predators, right? So if we lumped all of our coral pests into bugs, we wouldn't know the precise treatment between flatworms, nudies, copepods, and ciliates. You know, this is one of those use cases where, like, it really matters what you call them. Well, and <clears throat> there was a there was a time not to get on the uh, get off my lawn rant, but uh, where the hobby was actually challenging science, like like like, like so what, much, right? I mean, we were we were the a, a contribution. We were contributing to the, the mm -hmm. overall knowledge, and. How do you do that when you go into when you start misidentifying things and you come up with all these crazy names? It's like yeah, we're we're not part of the discussion anymore at that point. We're not even yeah. I mean, maybe they'll use some of our equipment to yeah. grow some some, some Caribbean <laughs> corals, but it's like ah, uh, forget those guys. Yeah, th this is this is a big point. Like there used to be a lot more uh, discourse between the. Uh, dedicated aquarium hobbyists and the coral scientists and ecologists who tried to understand the corals and we could give them feedback. But if you're, you know, calling your zoanthids purple monkey dishwasher, the, you're just, you're just going to lose the scientists almost immediately. Like that's just, that's just not useful. But I kind of to bring it back full circle. It's like, when is it appropriate to give a coral a arbitrary name? You know, I think we already touched upon um, when something comes about organically, mm -hmm. purple monster, green slimer, lynx eye. Um, but if we look at comparable hobbies and industries, you're, you, you don't name plant clones. Right. You name plants that you've crossed or bred or hybridized. You know, same thing with the reptile hobby, the herpetologist. I always struggle with that one. You don't name a new ball python strain that you just, you know, got. You, 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 ha you earn the, uh, the naming rights once you've bred it. This is true of horticulture. This is true of uh, reptiles. This is true of dog breeds. This is true of farm crops. Like, and so, like, as far as I'm concerned, if you discover the strain out in the ocean, like Jason Fox, I'll give him some credit for sure. But you don't discover corals in Los Angeles. You don't discover corals at your local fish store. Every now and then you might come across a strain that is really awesome and unique. And that's when the organic name comes in. Yeah, maybe it self-implodes on its own energy where um, I my personal observation is, is that it's, 
it's gotten to the point where I just can't keep up with it anymore. I, I, I used to be able to um, know what all these hyped up corals are and, and, and maybe they're, maybe most people are caught up and they're keeping up, but I'm not anymore. And I, I figure like once there's like, once everybody starts naming all their corals and pumping them up on Instagram, at some point the value of the hype naming loses its efficacy and it starts Absolutely. to implode and you'll still have the occasional because it, it's always been there right the occasional uh crazy coral name it's going to happen but maybe maybe it loses its steam a bit right it's yeah. um i mean like every marketing machine it only works you know effectively for so long and i think people yeah. just get kind of no, numb to it you know you're totally right you know right now there's definitely a epidemic of made-up torch coral names meanwhile no frog spawn no hammer corals have a recognizable trade name um same thing with a rainbow tenuous you know is it actually a rainbow like most of these are variations of like pink and green tenuous with a with a green base and colorful polyps and the people who come up with the names, unless it's really identifiable, like the Walt Disney, like the Home Wrecker, they all are just like this nebulous cloud of colors. And to be honest, man, I've, I've been to some of these companies that specialize in wacky coral names, and they can't keep up. Right. Like they made them up on the spot and they have customers who are like really tracking this stuff, not realizing that some of these names get recycled to freshly imported corals. Um, and that's not even like a singular problem. Like it's across the board. It's like, oh, what can I name this coral right now to get 20% more or to sell it right away? And it's, you know, it's really dishonest and it's really not constructive. At the, all. the last time I had an SPS dominant tank where i was buying corals uh frags from from all of these coral vendors was five years ago right and i went out and i blew a bunch of cash on a bunch of frags that all had crazy names mm -hmm. i didn't pick them because of the names i, I just didn't. I, I i saw pictures and i liked oh i like that one i like that one i like that one and I got the little bag, and the name was written on each frag. I put them in my tank, and six months later, I couldn't tell you what the names were, you know? And even if I pulled up the receipt, right, like, I wouldn't be able to tell you, like, oh, that, you know, it just was, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know well, how people keep up with that. Similar story about two months ago. I went on um, an SBS buying spree, and I got about 100 frags from probably eight different vendors. They each had a name on the bag and a list or whatever. I promptly threw those out. I don't get, I don't give a flying hoot what you call it. I really don't. There's one exception and that is the lazy's blue zing. You saw that story, right? Of the guy who had the classic, uh, green bird's nest next to the Ore bird of paradise, which are brooding corals. And they spawned in his aquarium. And so, like, I have all of those corals now. I have the green, uh, you know, probably Seriatopora guttatus um, with a very recognizable or a bird of paradise. And now I have the Lazy's Blue Zing. But, like, as far as I'm concerned, that name is important because that coral probably does not even occur in the wild. Just such a cool coral. You know, big shout out to uh, 
Lazy. I don't know what his actual name his actual name is, but that's a really cool quorum. That's a really cool story. And there's just like there's a few years of details and description tied up with that coral. But yeah, I got a whole bunch of awesome corals from let's see, Jason Fox, Battle Corals, ACI, Reef Bomb, and a handful of others. I could care less what they're called. To me, that is a colorful Acapora granulosa. That is a classic Acapora uh, plana. There's a grafted setosa, you know, easy enough. Uh, but hey, here's another tip. You want to come up with some coral names, try to come up with something super creative, right? Like when I come up with coral names, I Google it first. I Google it first just to make sure it hasn't been used in any form or fashion or not even close. So I've got my star mint candy coral. I've been growing for 20 years. Um, I didn't name my green break. Wait, is the star mint candy the one I've got that we've been passing between each other for decades? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. Now now I have a name for it. Okay. It's an actual candy that kind of really looks like. It does look like candy. Yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah, I mean. Whew, I feel better, don't you? <laughs> I feel a lot better just getting this off. Well, the and I don't, I don't want it to come off hateful because I, I mean, like I was thinking about while we were talking, I was thinking about Aura, right? They've got the red planet, the pearlberry. Um, I'm okay with that because they are, again, that goes back to like propagation versus chop shop. Like if you're a, if you are farming a very specific strain right over and over and over and over and it's it's there's there's consistency there right like i i don't mind it so much there and it's also not like some crazy name right i mean there is something uh there's something okay with that and i guess in my brain versus just i have a hard time believing that all the crap i see on instagram is on the same level right it's just something That's, came in it glows and so i it you know no you're totally right some that, kind that, of that's naming. touching on a point that is perhaps a whole nother episode like propagation versus chop shopping but yeah you definitely see some of these fly-by-nighters companies that you know are not going to be in business two to three years from now uh freshly import americultured coral and that matters because if it's americultured that means there's thousands of them all over the world, but you picked up one colony and you're going to call it something, but someone else across the country got that exact same genotype and they're calling it something else. Um, so there's something to be said, you know, back in the day, Ore would have grown it carefully, thoughtfully for a long time and given feedback on its preferences and shown pictures of it grown out. Is that too much to ask? Right. Is, is that too much? I'm sorry. This is not a mother colony. <laughs> this is not a mother colony. This is barely a mother colony, you know, like grow it out, like have a story associated with the name, like the lazy's blue zing that was spawned in his aquarium, like a, you know, aquarium produced hybrid of two different birds nest strains. Like, like that's awesome. I would, I would eat that up a hundred times over. Right. But obviously there's some people who are just marketing random corals, they just got on their fresh Indonesian shipment. They've literally never grown this coral out. Literally never grown it out. They've just chopped it up. They've seen it has a little bit of potential. Give it three or four descriptive names and sell it for $500 to $1,000. <laughs> but, I mean, I'll give them credit. It seems to work, right? It's uh, Okay. I, I, so, so, for me, this is not an attack on capitalism, right? Like, if, if they're in it, 
to run a business and make money and this works for them. Okay. You know, I'm not going to. I think I came to the end of my rant list, but the, the, the other side of the coin to this is that it is, it is exciting for some folks. It is very enticing for new blood into the reef aquarium hobby. And so there's that side of it where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, we just have a lot more coral diversity. And if uh, a couple grumpy old farts like you and me can kind of look past the name game and just, I feel so much better. I feel like I've gotten a lot <laughs> there. I really do, man. I really do with this retherapy session. If you, you get past the name stuff. What is the, what is the coral actually? Like I'm never going to give you hype dollars for anything ever. Because I know that if it's a real down home, you know, reliable coral, like the jack-o'-lantern, like the Raja Rampage, like the, uh, uh, the Sai, you know, a few, or the Sunset Monty is a perfect example. First frags of that were like 400 freaking dollars. Oh, yeah. And five years later, it was like 20 for a chunk. And now you can come into a store and find a giant rock that someone's brought in and and they'll give it to you because they want it out of the display because no one else is going to even buy it for 10 bucks you know so there's absolutely a flip side to this hype game and getting more diversity into uh, the coral hobby but if you can just kind of look past the goofy useless names there's there's a lot of great corals at the end of the day i think it's more fun uh Personally speaking, if you dive into the particulars of of, of the corals and you get away yes. from the collectoritis, in my yes, opinion, exactly I, that. You know, um, I my favorite corals in my tank are the ones with history, right? So that that's why I'm the most. Uh, we we have great conversations, but my tank is probably the most boring tank to most people because I'm growing corals that I've been growing for ever. You know, I've got, I've got your damn hammer coral. I can't get rid of that. <laughs> Every 20 time years I still remove going. it, some little piece of it just shows up in my tank and I got hammer coral again. And, and I got nothing against hammer coral, but it's the one coral that for some odd reason, uh, my skin gets like, I get stung by it and then right. I get a reaction. And so I decide, okay, I'm not keeping hammer coral anymore because it don't like my skin. Yeah. Um, but that sucker just grows back in my tank every flipping time. I, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, I, anyway, I, I need to name that thing, you know, <laughs> the immortal, the immortal. immortal. Coral. It is first, immortal. It, it is be, immortal. It'll be the first hammer coral with an actual name, but, uh, but yeah, you know, like, I, I, I don't want us to come off as a couple, uh, grumpy old, uh, get off my lawn style reefers. There is absolutely a silver lining to the hype game. Just don't get caught up in it, man. If you like a coral and the price is right and it's healthy and you like it, just, just buy it. You know, I, I definitely prioritize corals um, with history, with legacy, and that I can see from 20 to 30 feet away because I have a lot of tanks. And um, definitely with the, the, the coral name game, um, there's a lot, there's too many people that are, as Vincent Chalius would say, they're buying a photograph. Mm -hmm. They're buying into a club, right? So that they can get on the forums and say, oh, hey, I got a piece of da 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 da. And then I show the picture and you're like, huh? What? <laughs> that's a little brown turd. That's like that's nothing like what it's supposed to be. But um, but there is a, yeah, there is a silver lining to the hobby. 
really being intensively propagated, whether they're cultured or not. Um, at the end of the day, um, you know, lifelong reefers like you and I, we're just going to have more corals to pick from down the road. True. Yeah. Yeah, especially with all these rainbow tenuous and uh, holy grail torches. We're going to have so many strains to pick from like <laughs> one or two years from now. I mean, I've seen some of these holy grails that look not that much different from either a green torch or a really yellow torch. Um, going for like five, six hundred dollars a polyp. See, and that's. 2,000, 3,000 for a mini colony, you back up a little bit, it doesn't really look any different from like a very healthy green torch or a very healthy gold torch. <laughs> but it, the, it, the value is only there when you can turn the lights all blue, add the orange filter, bring in your macro photograph, uh, throw in a Photoshop, boost the levels, and then share it online because then you're part of the club. Yeah, but it's... Um... I don't know. There's a lot of good music uh, uh, written about this now, about how we we view the world through our phones now, right? It's like mm. um, I'm admiring my reef tank by the photograph on my phone instead of sitting on a couch and just staring at you know the the bigger the the forest instead of the tree. But I also it, for me it's been kind of comical because I keep trying to go hide in some corner of the reef keeping world that nobody gives a crap about. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's uh, a bit pretentious right it's like when you like a band and then everyone starts to like that band so you're like ah now i hear that band on the radio so i'm into this band right coldplay i played out coldplay yeah before they ever hit the radio that's modest mouse i I, have a coldplay record where he's holding a cycloceros yeah i have it framed uh because i thought how cool it's like you know yeah, I remember you and I like kind of uh, freaking out over that album cover. Yeah, two thousand one. <laughs> we're just like, how is this on an album cover? An orange cycloceros. And the album was light? called the Blue, Blue Room EP, yeah. and we were like, like, oh, he's speaking to us, man. <laughs> yeah, we know what's going on. Oh, very cool. No, well, but you, um, you know, I've gone and hid in different nooks, right? It's like, oh man, these SPS guys are getting kind of crazy. You know what? I'm going to get into the LPS zone. And then the LPS zone got crazy. And it's like, oh man, these guys, I don't know. I'm going to get into softies. And then the bounce mushroom showed up and I was like, man, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, um, if you, if you really enjoy the name game, just make sure the name matters and it kind of means something. Um, I, I, I love to use Jason Fossilin as, as an example because him and I am just like a handful of others have collected our own corals from the reef. We didn't discover these things at a frag swap or at the LFS. Um, but if, if, you know, if a coral speaks to you, don't just slap a name on it and, and, and try to Instagram hype it out. Just enjoy it, man. Just enjoy it yourself. Don't, you don't have to have a, a photograph of it to, uh, to, to, to bring value to it. And then I think that will definitely increase the, the lifetime experience and enjoyment of your reef aquarium. Truth. Yeah. All right. Well, we had a nice back-to-back sessions. This is going to be uh, for next week, but by the time it's, it's published it'll be this week but uh mark thank you so much for for joining me for another session of reef therapy we're going to get these uh syndicated in podcast format as soon as we can 
And uh, I think we have a lot left to talk about, but it's always a very lively discussion. So um, thanks for uh, being a part of this. And thanks to all the viewers and the listeners um, who are giving us the feedback of how much this is uh, improving and uh, increasing their enjoyment of the Reef Aquarium hobby. Yeah, thanks again for having me. And yeah, the feedback's been great. Uh, <clears throat> looking forward to any questions or any topics uh, that you guys want to hear us talk about. Um, I'm up for, for any good, lively discussion. Yeah, you know, instead of doing like a, a full-on live format, you know, we haven't had that many bona fide questions. We've had mostly comments of people saying how refreshing it is that this is not live, that we are absolutely deep diving into these discussion topics. So if you have some good questions, I mean, throw them out there. And instead of doing a uh, full, full on live stream format, maybe we're going to, you know, collect a handful of these questions into a single episode uh, down the road. Sounds good, man. Well, when, when are you getting your, uh, your reef tank? I have no clue, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying really to be. I'm trying to be patient because uh, I know obviously Texas went through a big a bit of a ringer with the snowstorm, and and that obviously impacted Planet Aquarium as well. Um, so uh, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to just and I, I've heard there's a glass shortage. I've heard um, some of the bigger brands like Marineland and Aquiona are having trouble sourcing glass. Hopefully, Planet is not impacted by that, um, but. I got everything else, man. My spare bedroom is filled to the top with every piece of plumbing I need. I'm ready to go. I just need the tank. <laughs> I am very glad that you have a, a new aquarium um, in your future because that's just going to give us so much to talk about and uh, lots of fun gear for me to throw your way. So, Bark, let's go ahead and uh, cut this off and uh, we'll pick it up again next week. All right, man. All right. Peace. See you.